Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Mean Old Lion Media present Black Arm of the Law. Welcome to Black Arm of the Law podcast. I am your new host, Dr. Rochelle Brackney, also known as Chief B. I want to thank Carl Payne for turning over the baton to me. He did an amazing job, had great respect, mad respect, mad props for, for policing and for the law enforcement professionals. Thank him and I wish him well on his new endeavors. So here on Black Arm of the Law podcast, each week I'll examine the most pressing legal issues of our times and their unique impact on Black communities and bodies. So settle in and don't forget to follow us. Please subscribe, rate, and comment on the show. Do that on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You can also follow me, Chief B, on Twitter at Chief B underscore CVLPD. All right, so let's jump into it. I want to talk about the origins of modern day policing. We're going to talk a lot about the legal system, but let's start at the beginning. The modern day policing can be traced back to slave patrols. We know this to be true. Straight facts, no chaser. But if you ask most officers about the origins of policing, they're going to recite Sir Robert Peel of England. Now, Peel was instrumental in having the Metropolitan Police Act passed in the English Parliament, but that was in 1829, and that was across the pond, not here in the United States. Peel did have a specific vision of how policing should be conducted and how police should operate. Most academies in the U.S. currently teach, currently, in 2023, Peel's nine principles. I'm going to briefly talk about those and their implications in today's society. So the first thing he thought was the basic mission for the police to exist was to prevent crime and disorder. He did not focus on arrests. In other words, they were proactive. When you hear them say, um, I want you to be proactive and not reactive in the community, Peel had that concept as early as 1829. He said that in order for the police to perform their duties, it would depend on the public approval of police actions. Now, y'all know that's going to be another podcast altogether. He continued that the police must be willing to secure the cooperation of the public in voluntary observance of the law so that they could be able to secure and maintain the respect of the public. In other words, that the police, their behavior, in order for the public to cooperate, it was dependent on how the police behaved. Further on, the degree of cooperation of the public that can be secured diminished proportionally with the necessity to use physical force. So the more force that the police used on the community, the less likely the community was going to obey the laws. And we see that over and over and over again in 2023. But let's get back. We're in 1829, folk. The degree of cooperation that the police also get 
will be based on their not seeking public favor or catering to public opinion, but by constantly demonstrating that they were doing impartial service to the law. Police could only use physical force to the extent necessary to secure the observance of the law or to restore order. And get this, that wasn't their first um, option. They could only use force based on what Peel was saying after persuasion, advising, and warning were found to be inefficient and insufficient and not successful. Police should always put their attention towards their functions. An interesting concept that the test of police efficiency is the absence of crime and disorder, not the visible evidence of police in action dealing with it. So they're saying that, you know, when you could see the things were peaceful and not the police exercising their authority, that was the true power in policing. And the final part, that the police at all times should maintain a relationship with the public that gives reality to the historic tradition that the police are the only members of the public who are paid to give full time and attention to the duties which are incumbent on every citizen in the interests of community welfare and existence. So he was clear. The only reason the police were the police, as my grandmother used to say, is they were the ones paid to do it. And it was built on a system that they were being paid to do what we should all be doing naturally, policing ourselves. Now, interesting, and why this is so interesting is these are the same tenets that seem to have come out of the 21st century policing task force that Obama put together after the murder of Michael Brown. Now, I'm going to argue this. No matter how well penned, and I understand the pillars, but no matter how well penned those pillars were, they are not the foundation of modern day policing in America. In North Carolina, 1828, one year before the introduction of the Metropolitan Police Act in London, slave patrollers cited this oath one year prior. I do swear that I will, as a searcher for guns and swords and other weapons among the slaves in my district, faithfully and as privately as privately as I can, discharge the trust reposed to me as the law directs to the best of my power, so help me God. Now, before we dissect that oath, we need to delve a little more deeply into the composition of the patrols and who were the patrollers. We just said that the earliest form of slave patrols occurred in the, the 18 and 1700s, actually the 1700s. And they were created in the Carolinas with one mission, to establish a system of terror and to squash slave uprisings. And they also had the capacity. So they, they could quash the uprisings, but they had more capacity than just in the moment, that reactive. They were actually allowed to be proactive according to the same principles that Peel uses. They could pursue apprehend and return any runaway slave to their owners. This was in reality the first systemic form of policing in the land that we know. Not the Pelian principles, not the mythology that we've been given of the origins of modern day policing. And if we co-sign on those modern day concepts today, in some ways we co-sign on a system of supremacy. I digress. But anyway, the northern colonies were not letting them off the hook either. 
The Northern colonies relied on informal night watch systems of volunteer policing. This sounds very similar to what we hear now when we have these neighborhood patrols and we only need to bring up George Zimmerman to, to remind us of what that means. They had private security to protect their commercial properties. Again, up north, they were protecting the, the, the factories, the industries. They were used, they brought in oftentimes um, the Pinkertons to break across lines and to deal with um, the lines of people who were um, at that point on strike and to bust up the unions. So they were used to bust up unions up, up north, but down south, they did something extremely different. In the Southern colonies, policing was rooted in the slave economy and in the economic order that it created. And it was maintained by legally sanctioned systems of surveillance, intimidation, and brute force, whose sole purpose was the control of Blacks or the enslaved. And thus, the first comprehensive system of a racially directed law enforcement was well on its way to being fully developed, i.e. slave patrols. The patrols consisted of citizens who regulated the activity of slaves as their civic obligation. And the slave patrols did it for pay. They did it for rewards. The citizens were exempt from other duties. They were um, specifically called patrollers. They were called paddy rollers or patter rolls. Now, and today you'll hear people say they put them in the paddy wagon. That was the means by which they transport people from a scene to an arrest. And we get that out of the slave patrol language and we use it today. The paddy rollers were literally the answer to the slave problem of quote unquote free labor and keeping them in control. Unlike the watches though, the constables and the sheriffs who had some non-policing duties, the slave patrols operated solely for the enforcement of colonial and state laws. They were sworn to protect the laws and sworn not to betray the government's trust in them. In actuality, this was the origin, I believe, of the us versus them mentality. The origins of the thin blue line, the origins of racial terror to beat back insurrections and to keep slaves in their place. Now, the laws enabled the behaviors of the patrollers, much like laws often enable the behaviors and, and, and attitudes of officers today. According to a historian, Greg Potter, the responsibility of the slave patrols was pretty straightforward. You controlled the movement and behaviors of the enslaved populations. Slave patrols were the chief enforcers of the system. These were groups of armed white men who rode at night among plantations and settlements, and they had their assigned beats. Now we hear that word beat used often in today's vernacular. We actually hear people romanticize that they want the beat patrol back or they want their beat officer there. I'm gonna say be careful what you ask for because that came out of the slave patrol narrative and duties and, and responsibility. The Patty Rollers authorities extended patrolling the plantation grounds. So not just the public access ways or the public streets or the, the public grounds. They had the authority to go onto the plantations to include the slave quarters where they looked for the presence of books or, or writing materials or weapons or alcohol or any luxury items. In fact, they actually looked for if a slave had more provisions than they thought the slave should have. And if they found any of this contraband, they, that was a cause for beating. 
And if you were a female and they were entering in those slave quarters, you would probably have prayed the beating was what only thing that happened to you that often resulted in much worse. Now, after the emancipation and the defeat of the Confederacy, and contrary to narrative, the Confederacy lost, the system remained largely intact. The legally sanctioned slave patrols, if we want to get this language correct, were replaced by night riding vigilantes like the Ku Klux Klan. They had their white robes and they had their flaming torches. They were on horseback. You know, I tell people, if you want to get a, a, a view of what that looked like, think Charlottesville and the Unite the Right in 2017. And the way they dressed and the way they patrolled were intended for maximum terrorizing effect. And as a result of this, they instituted a new form of control and racial terror, lynchings, lynchings and shootings. And they took place or they took place along the more traditional alongside the more traditional beatings and whippings um, that were given to Blacks, particularly since the Black economy or economic value as a slave had diminished. So damaging the property was no longer an issue. They could now lynch, shoot, kill, and maim, and it would not diminish the value that had originally driven the entire reason we had slave patrols, economics, right? And as those constraints were list, lifted, black bodies did play, pay the price. The Equal Justice Initiative documented more than 4,400 lynchings of black people in the United States between 1877 and 1950. The public would gather, often wearing their Sunday best, to exact justice from the perceived racial criminalized threat of a black body, a black man. The lynchings more often than not occurred with the assistance of sworn law enforcement and government and resulting in what we now know today as legal um, estrangement or alienation of communities of color from those who should be agents of justice, right? Agents of criminal justice. But don't take my word for it. According to EJI, racial terror lynchings were violent and public acts of torture that traumatized black people throughout the country and were largely tolerated by state and federal officials. Lynchings in the American South were not isolated hate crimes committed by rogue vigilantes. Lynchings were targeted racial violence at the core of a systemic campaign of terror. This campaign perpetuated in the, you know, the furtherance of an unjust social order. So y'all know where I'm going with this, but give me a minute to get there. Think about the slave patrols and sanctioned government and societal terror and what they were empowered to do. They were legally empowered to one, chase down, apprehend and return to their owners, the runaway slaves. They were empowered as a form of organized terror to deter slave revolts. And more importantly, they were empowered to issue out any form of discipline for slave workers who did not comply. In other words, they created their first forms of summary justice outside of the law or, or, you know, extrajudicial punishment because they didn't believe the system was going to take care of it and control it. Now, that was the 17 and 1800s. Let's fast forward to the 21st century and put this all in context. The common police oath across the nation goes something like this. I do solemnly swear that I support the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution and laws of my state and their ordinances, and I will well 
well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office with fidelity, according to the best of my knowledge and ability. Now, does that sound familiar? The scary part about all of this is today, there are approximately 800,000 officers assigned to 18,000 policing agencies across the United States. If we break this down a little further, 137,000 of those are federal agents. They're not the ones out on the streets patrolling. They're not the ones out in the communities. They're not the ones in the neighborhoods where you live. According to the, the latest census, the United States has a population of about 335 million. That translates to one officer or one sheriff for every 505 individuals. So how do you control the populace? Deter revolts when you are outnumbered by 500 to one. Revert back to point two of the responsibilities of slave patrol to provide a form of organized terror, racial terror and violence. I know this may sound controversial given the Americans or America's penchant for romanticizing and lionizing police officers. But my more than 37 years in the profession, coupled with my time in academia, well, there may be a there there. And if you don't believe me, next week we'll introduce two new segments to the show, headlines and hashtags and the end of shift report. Headlines and hashtags is a perfect segue to my there there comment. Let's snatch a headline to prove my point. This headline goes way back, 1991, Rodney King. Remember Rodney King? In March of 91, King allegedly led police officers from the California Highway Patrol and LAPD and others on a high-speed pursuit. When King stopped his car approximately eight miles later, he was beaten with batons, nightsticks, kicked, you know, humiliated and demeaned over and over again as officers alleged he refused to comply with their orders, refused to comply with their orders. Now we know in today's vernacular, that sounds eerily familiar. Although these officers were criminally charged in the King case for the use of excessive force, they were, as officers often are, acquitted. The officer's defense counsel alleged that the public had been greatly misled about what really happened because of the distorted media coverage, not the beatings and the batons, but the distorted media coverage because the officers were actually doing what they have been trained to do. As you hear officers today say, you know, it's lawful, but awful. They were trained to do, and what appeared on the video as a beating was actually an improperly executed and ineffective use of force. Notice the defense here. They were trained and authorized to do. Think about the purpose of the lynchings. Think about the purpose of slave patrols in the 19th and 20th centuries. The country's unique history of racial subjugation and violence and contemporary police killings in the United States. Remember the slave patrollers oath, what they were authorized and sanctioned to do. Consider this. Is it possible that the slave patrol and lynching's legacy to law enforcement continue to operate through our endearing support for severe punishment, particularly against black bodies. How do we then sanction that? How do we empower folks? How do we do that today when we don't have the same kind of systems? Well, you do it through the ways we encourage vigilanteism. We um, exasperate racial injustices through the modern day slave patrols, the stand your ground laws, 
in the executions of people like Trayvon Martin, Ahmaud Arbery, Marquise McLaughlin, and other attempted executions by the Stand Your Ground laws of Ralph Yarl and A.J. Owens. And if you don't believe me, if you don't believe these are sanctioned, according to a 2013 study, now you know we're in 2023, so these numbers are higher, by the Urban Institute, quote, homicides with a white perpetrator and a black victim are 10 times more likely to be ruled justified than cases with a black perpetrator and a white victim. In states where stand your ground laws exist, the racial gap is even starker. Cases with a white perpetrator and a black victim are 281% more likely to be ruled justified. 281% more likely to be ruled justified than cases with a white perpetrator and a white victim. So I'm going to ask you again, how do you control the masses when you are outnumbered 500 to 1? You do it through Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Freddie Gray, Sandra Bland, Philando Castillo, Stephon Clark, Botham Jean, Atiana Jefferson, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and Tyree Nichols. I am your host, Dr. Rochelle Brackney, and this is Black Arm of the Law. Please Tell someone about us, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter. We ask that not only do you do that, you subscribe, you rate us, and you comment on us. This is the end of my shift. I am 1042. Catch you next week. Find Black Arm of the Law on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Black Arm of the Law is a mean old lion media production. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.